It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. And on each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories about people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And, and right now, I am sitting on our front porch here in Peachum, Vermont. It's a beautiful summer evening. It's around, I don't know, 8.30 or so. Sun is still out. The birds are still chirping. The weather is, is wonderful. I'm just really savoring the moment, especially after a long day of working off-farm. Uh, you know, oftentimes I feel like on this podcast, I can sometimes get really focused on this idea of escaping the rat race and focusing in on being a full-time farmer. And, and, and yeah, that is my, my long-term dream. But I think it's important to also recognize that I, I do kind of enjoy where my life is right now, where I have this job that offers good money, doing good work with, with really good people. And, and I enjoy it. And, and right now I feel like my life's in, you know, even though it's a bit chaotic and a bit busy, um, it's also in a really good place from a balanced perspective in terms of me enjoying what I'm doing and, and enjoying how I'm spending most of my time. I, I think it's important to note this because my guest tonight is somebody who I actually look at as almost like a role model when it comes to striking that balance. You know, being a full, full-time farmer or being a full-time homesteader, it just isn't for everybody. But my guest tonight is is Troy McClung of the Red Tool House and and the Red Tool House Farm, I should say, and and Troy and his family have been living out on a homestead for, gosh, nearly twenty years or so. They they live out in in West Virginia. They they started with a absolute wreck of a property that need to be needed to be rehabbed and and such, and they really built a true home for themselves and a homestead. And, and it's awesome to see, you know, they have a YouTube channel. That's actually how I got to know Troy first. And, and I, I enjoyed my conversation with Troy because so much of it was about how to start, how to build something, and how to really maintain something and, and maintain that balance. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Troy McClung of the Red Tool House Farm. I grew up in West Virginia. I was born and raised. I kind of grew up rural, but not farming. Just, just kind of lived in the, back in the country and just enjoyed that as a kid. Uh, after college, my wife and I moved to Florida, and so we lived in Orlando for a while. Ended up buying a house uh, down in St. Cloud, and uh, we're there doing a, you know, kind of starting life there. Both had careers, and uh, we, we kind of got the itch to move back home. Uh, we always joke West Virginia. Is, uh, is like boomerang effect. You know, people leave and they, they come back at times. So I told her, I said, well, if we're going to move back, I really can't live. I don't want to live in a housing development anymore. You know, what we were doing down in Florida was, was really wearing on me being a country boy. And, and I, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something different. I said, so if we move back to West Virginia, I said, let's, let's try to find some, you know, a, a large, a large piece of land, something rural, something that we can do something with. 
And um, so she agreed to that. We we ended up, uh, we were fortunate enough to find jobs and move back to um, actually our home area. I lived, uh, we, we lived in a small cabin a buddy of mine let me use for a year that was just over the ridge from where I grew up. So uh, we came back there and we spent a year looking for land. And uh, at that time, I really wasn't looking to farm or homestead or do anything like that. I just really wanted to be away from people. I was um, a bit becoming more and more antisocial. So uh, I said, yeah, I just I just want to live in the middle of nowhere and I don't want to have to worry about neighbors. And that was really my only um, uh, guidelines. And so we took a year to look around, and we basically just drew a circle around the town, which is our city of Charleston, which is our capital of our state, is where we were working. We just drew a circle around and said, okay, about an hour drive. is Anything inside, that's fair game. And it took us about a year to find it. And and once we found it and, and moved out there, you know, we, we lived on it for, uh, well, we've been there 20 years now, and we decided uh, probably only about 10 years ago that we were actually going to start doing some some farming stuff with it. Said before, it was just a lot of land that I could just hide on. So, so when you find that land and you you know figure out who the seller is and, and actually purchase the property, you know, well, like what are your first steps? Like, like as you start to approach it, even if you weren't thinking about things like farming at that time, like how do you start and go from nothing to building something that you can live on? Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, if um, you get deep into the, the, the nuts and bolts of our story there, when we found this land, it wasn't uh, it wasn't listed by a realty company, it wasn't anything, it was, it was literally just uh, what we would call an abandoned piece of land, it was trashed, uh, I mean, there was, there was an old farmhouse on it that was gutted, there was tons of raw garbage on it. And I'll never forget. Yeah, I, I would I would take the evenings before the internet was really you know a thing. So I would take the evenings after work and drive around these places. Um, and, and my wife would would stay back at the house at times. So I I found this place on my own. Uh, actually, no, I was with my brother. My brother and I we were we were looking around and and we found this place and it was covered in garbage. And I remember when we were really getting serious about uh, putting an offer on this house. I gotta I gotta take. Kelly down there, my wife, and, and show her this land. Well, it was about four inches of snow on the ground, so she couldn't see all of this trash. It was just these little mounds of, you know, these piles of things. And, of course, everything was so grown over, she just thought, okay, that's just brush or whatever. She she didn't see the garbage. So, uh, you know, when, when she saw it the next time, she's like, holy cow, are you serious? Are we really thinking about buying this trash piece of land? So, uh, so you know, long story short, we ended up buying it. So we made an offer on it. The people took the first offer we gave them. They had had it on the market for years. Took it off, put it back on. Took it off. They could, they just couldn't move it. So um, yeah, knowing a little bit of what I knew about timber, I knew there was some good timber on it. Uh, they even said, hey, yeah, we we think there's a lot of good timber on it. So we made the offer. They accepted. Um, so now we have you know 100 acres in the foothills of southern West Virginia. That's about out of the 100 acres, about 97 and a half of them are all wooded. And the, just the little front area had some cleared area, had the old house on it, had all the trash. So we spent um, we spent about six months cleaning it up. I built a little tiny workshop. Well, at the time, it was what I called my garage apartment, but it was a 24 by 32 single story open floor plan with a concrete slab. I just built that myself. Um, and And we lived in that for about two years. Took that time to clean up the property, bankroll some cash, sold the timber, really got you know really got a good payout of the timber to the point where it almost made the property break even. I think we got it down to like 250 an acre, and used some of that uh, used money for some other things as well. 
Um, but the plan over the course of two years was to build a, a primary structure. Now, again, at that time, I was 28 years old. I didn't know what the heck I was doing when it came to understanding the importance of, of you know, here's a house that's sustainable and a house that's affordable versus I'm 28 years old trying to have a career. I'm going to build the biggest house I can afford. You know, I'd love to go back and kick that 28-year-old square in the face and say, hey, let's let's reinvest that money differently. But it is what it is. So we built a house that was bigger than what we really need. Uh, you know, something that has a mortgage. So that's what always, uh, always kind of preface when people ask, Oh, you're living the dream out there. Saying, no, I still have a mortgage. And, uh, so that, that's still something I have to take care of. You know, if I could go in hindsight, uh, I would do it differently. But that was, that was the gig was, uh, living in the garage apartment, built the house. Once the house was built, we moved into the house, turned the garage apartment into my workshop. And then at that point, uh, you know, we just kind of, kind of hung out out there. I'd love, I'd love to be outdoors. Um, I loved, I, at that time I was doing a lot of woodworking, so I was milling my own wood and I had a sawmill, we had a kiln doing all that type of stuff. Um, and then we just, we got the bug and you know, it's funny, it's like uh, the story you hear all the time that you know, we watched uh, a documentary, um, we watched Food Inc and that just started it. We're like, oh crap. Food Inc is like had- the gateway drug for so <laughs> many people I feel like I've talked to. Yeah, 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 it is, man. It, it, is, it is as cliche as it gets. We, we watched that and said... Oh, we need to. And of course, at the same time, yeah, having kids, uh, we have two boys that are now teenagers. But at the time, it was, wow, we really got to we got to look at this, not only for ourselves, but for our kids. Are we going to feed them the same junk that we were fed? And uh, so that really woke us up. And uh, and again, you know, cliche, start with the gateway animal. We started with chickens and it just all went downhill from there. So so that's 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 kind of where we where we ended up. And then uh, as we got heavier into this. What I, you know, what I was starting thinking it was kind of small farming or hobby farming. We discovered there's this, this you know, term of modern homesteading, which we thought, well, let's just try to see how we fit into that niche and see how that applies. And then kind of the rest is where we are now. Hmm. So, so one of the things I'm really fascinated with is, and it's, it's something I grapple with all the time here on our farm where, you know, we're like about 160 acres and about 110 of that is forest is how do you go about managing that much forest? How much do you actively manage versus just let it do its thing? Like, how, how do you approach something like that? Well, you know, down here in, in the Appalachians, I don't know. I assume you guys have some pretty good uh, eastern hardwoods, I assume, in that area is the uh, same. So in this situation, we live, uh, you know, our land's not flat at all. It's very, very hilly. So out of the... Um, uh, you know, Florida, Florida, people in Florida would call it mountainous. Uh, people in the mountains would call it hilly. Uh, so we're somewhere in between there. I have probably a 400-foot elevation difference uh, in the lowest spot to the highest spot. But we we kind of live on the front 10 acres. I, I really do a lot on the front 10 acres, but there's these little, you know, I call them these little pockets or little glades, little clearings throughout um, that we have roads. I've, you know, with the timbering 20 years ago, I have all these roads cut through. So I have access to all of that with my tractor and with my side-by-side so I can get to them. Uh, so there's times I'll go through um, and, 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 and areas where I'm actively farming, raising the animals, then we're clearing land there. I'm selectively uh, clearing these trees. I mean, literally know every tree in this you know, five, 10 acre swath to say, okay, when it's time, when I need uh, this type of species for the mill, I'm going to do this. Um, I'm leaving you know, for silver pasture for the pigs. I'm leaving my oaks, my hickories. I'm leaving my beaches to some degree, even though I don't, I'm not a big fan of beach. Uh, but things that are producing this great protein in the fall. 
So I'm selectively managing that all the way down to even the last little saplings. Like I'll let this little patch, I'll let my black locust grow up because I use that for fence posts. And I like having those trees around. Um, But then when you get outside that point, uh, it it really comes down to to basic um, uh, uh, forestry management. And I have some good friends that are foresters, and they share a lot of info with me. Uh, So I I learn vicariously through them. But really just look and say, okay, outside of here, what are some trees that if if I come in here and I cut this one tree down, it's going to allow these six others to flourish? Or if I'm going to – if I need this type of harvest, like I'm building the barn out of poplar, so I'm going to go get this poplar that's outside of what I call my kill zone. (laughs) Go get this poplar and go grab it because it's going to produce a lot of board feet. It's in the way of this specific road. I um, had one situation just four or five months ago where – tree was right in the middle of my road that I wanted to widen. So it's like, okay, the tree's got to come down. Well, I'm not cutting that tree down until I have a specific purpose for it. And so it, it, uh, yeah, that tree was felled, it was drugged down to the mill, it was turned into lumber, that lumber was ricked and it's already been put on the barn. So those type of things where that's really how to kind of manage it, you know, with, with Appalachian hardwood forest, um, a lot of it, if you leave it alone and you've gone through and removed some of the invasive species, then, you know, that's, that, that, kind of loose management really starts to, to pay dividends if you are going to look at having a responsible forestry done. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting, though, because I think so many people look past the importance of that forestry management because um, I think it's a little bit like a mystery. How, how, do you, how did you learn kind of that sense of, well, what do you need to keep? What do you need to manage out? What's the good wood? What's the bad wood? Like, you know, for somebody who's listening to this just as a beginner, like what what steps would you take to kind of get up on that knowledge? Oh man, yeah, I would I would definitely again having the benefit of having some friends that are foresters. Most foresters will do a a timber assessment or a timber appraisal. If you find a good forester who's not necessarily just linked to the hip of a of a, of a, of a <clears throat> excuse me of a logger or, or a contractor like that, you can usually get these guys that really are knowledgeable that can come in to say. Hey, here's what you've got, but if this is what, what's your game plan? And that's like my buddy Jeff. He always says, "Hey, if anybody wants to talk to me about selling timber, the first thing I say is, okay, let's set aside the money portion of this. Let's not even talk about cash right now. What do you want this property to do for you?" Say, "Well, all I want it to do is make money." Well, okay, there's even a logical step to do that. You know, slash and burn just doesn't work anymore. That's not the way you do this. But yeah, if you can have a forester, sometimes they'll come in and they'll cruise. I mean, they could cruise 100 acres for 400 bucks and give you an assessment of that and say, hey, here, here you go. Here's what you got. You can come in and have a, four, a full forestry plan done. Now, that's, yeah, that's going to have a little bit more consulting uh, work to it. Or you can just, just again, look at, look at what your goal is. If you say, well, at some point I want to have livestock in here. I want to incorporate silvopasture or I want to just let it grow up and, and harvest it every 20 years and get the best I can. Then – you know, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can look at, and it'll start. You know, you know, give you a good place to start. Start with looking at the invasives. So, what are some of the invasives I need to clear out? Um, you know, it's funny when you look at if you're trying to get your forest to be productive for timber, then you want it kind of you know, more condensed so those trees grow fast and straight, and they don't branch out a lot of limbs. In our situation, where we've got a lot of timber that's been neglected like that. Uh, I come in and I want the opposite. I want to cut down some some key trees so that the other big trees I leave behind branch out even more. Um, a perfect example is on our north ridge is primarily all white oak. Uh, there's a pretty dense population of white oak. Well, I want to have pigs and cattle in that area at some point. 
So um, I'm looking at, well, there's a big double trunk white oak that at the base before the trunk split off is almost six foot in diameter. So this thing's a monster, but it splits out and goes up and then it has a couple other branches. So it really has zero timber value to it because nobody wants crotch wood for, for the commercial production. Obviously, woodworkers would use it, but nobody wants that. It's going to have zero value. But the canopy is really choked out because it's surrounded by all these other trees. So if I come in and take out some of these all smaller trees that maybe have timber value, and right now white oak is really good for the barrel stave business for everybody's into you know, home brew and home distillery type of stuff. These small distilleries are, are looking for that type of white oak. So I could come in and say, hey, let's selectively take these guys out. Well, that double trunk that has no commercial value is going to put, uh, you know, it's going to double, maybe triple its canopy size, and it's going to produce a ton more mast. So if I've got livestock, if I've got pigs in here, then they're going to have, you know, one tree is going to produce a ton more acorns than if I'd have had these other trees laying around. Mm. Talk to me a bit about your, your approach to pigs. It's one of the things I've been fascinated with learning about you guys in terms of how you're approaching just kind of your pigs in general and then specifically how you're trying to work within that silvopasture system. Well, you know, I always joke that um, – and, we, and actually, but you know what? As I'm thinking about this, we've probably even defined silvopasture for folks too. Yeah, yeah. yeah silva, and again, I, I'm no expert by, by any means. I have I have no credentials to go with this. But um, silvopasture really is just utilizing a mixture of of pasture and and forestry to have. Uh, you know, the term is used a lot. Generic term is savanna. You want to have a savanna pasture. And, and we discovered that a lot of people that are trying to do silvopasture are starting on the opposite end of the spectrum we are. They've got a lot of cleared land, and they're coming in and planting trees. Well, we're in a situation where we have a huge forest, and we'd like to have some cleared lands. Uh, so silvopasture is that balance of where you get savanna grass, you get some pasture grass that still grows, but you have this uh, – the sporadic canopy around to give shade, uh, to help obviously with water, to help with, with heat control. Uh, it's funny, um, um, man, Live Oak, Live Oak Farm down in Live Oak, Florida has a really good discussion where, uh, they talk about, um, uh, fly control because of silvo pasture. They have all the spiders that hang out in the trees. Of course, Florida grows some serious spiders. They have all these f- spiders that build nests in these trees. So their, their cattle, as they meander through this silva pasture, the flies are getting nailed by the spiders and, and they're, they're having to do very limited fly control simply because they're encouraging that habitat for spiders to take care of it. So that's, that's kind of how we look at silva pasture. And again, we have all this forestry that we want to come in and selectively clear, whereas other people are, are have all this cleared land and they're trying to selectively plant. So with that in mind, knowing what we, you know, we've got to work with what you got, you know, dance with who brought you type of thing. So we've got all this land that's, um, that's in a one large watershed. So we're on the front 10 acres, and I always joke that our, our pigs are our frontiersmen. They will head west. So that's the direction, you know, in our valley they go. So as, as we move them west, we want them to clear. So of course they come in, they eat out all the underbrush. They, you know, they are they are little vacuums. They will vacuum the forest floor. If you leave them in one spot too long, you know there won't be a leaf on the ground in the fall. Uh, you know all the saplings will be uprooted. Uh, briars love they love poison ivy. Man, they will just wail on poison ivy. They'll, I've seen them tear it off the tree and eat it like spaghetti. And um, so they come through and clear out a lot of that stuff. So I go through and, and obviously take the big stuff down that they won't take down and, and thin that out. And I have these little pockets of, of uh, openings in the canopy where you know, these grasses are growing up and, and they're getting some, uh, some browse availability there with the pasture. But the plan is as, as we move, then we move them forward. So they go into a new area. So we, we 
fence off a new area. You know, fencing for pigs is one of the cheapest fences you can mess with because you like we just use a single strand of electric about uh, 18 inches off the ground, and we're fine. See, so, you know, I'm snaking. Yeah, you know, we got so much uneven land. I'm snaking fence all over the place, but it's just one strand. Uh, fairly inexpensive. Move the pigs into that area. They really don't require any shelter. We 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 have shelter for them in the winter, but they really don't require any shelter. They just need access to water, shade, and obviously some food. So we can move them into these areas, and uh, once we get a certain area that we feel is pristine, then we keep them off of it because you know, they're a little rough. They're you know, they're the bulldozer coming through the forest, whereas if you want a, a goat or a cow to follow up, you, you don't want them necessarily uh, in that same pasture tearing it up. So so they go west. They clear. They're our advance team to clear land for us. Hmm. That's, that's awesome. And, and it's, it's, I think you make such an important point for a lot of people who are looking at land and trying to plan out like how they're going to homestead or how they're going to farm, where we're in a situation in our place where we are doing a lot of planting of trees to create a silvopasture, but it's so much easier and you get such a, a time advantage by thinning out and going in the opposite direction and essentially carving out the land to, to give you that pasture and, and yeah, it's just a huge opportunity. So kudos to you guys for doing that. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 46 years old. So if I was starting today planting um, you know, white oak saplings and hickory saplings and those type of things, you're looking at 15, 20 years before you get the first production out of that. And that's if the white-tailed deer don't destroy it, which is an issue we have. So yeah, I, I would really be if I was starting in that direction, I'd really be doing something for the next generation. It, it, it wouldn't be for me because it, it just wouldn't it just wouldn't come about uh, in time. Um, but Looking at what we have now, again, it's it's one of those things, and that's what I love about discussing all of this with other people is everybody's farm or homestead is so different. It has its own unique flavor to it, and you really got to embrace. You know, we've, we've spent a lot of time down on Joel Salatin's farm. You know, Polyface Farms is only about three hours from us, so we spent a lot of time there, and, and there's there's a lot of things that, that Joel does that are just fantastic. It's like, man, I want to do that here at Red Tool House, but then we discover, okay, you know, Red Tool House is not the Shenandoah Valley. You know, Southern West Virginia is not the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. We, we don't have some of the luxuries they have. So there's some things that we have to do differently, but that principle is still there. Okay, how do we get these things to work in our favor? How do we embrace the landscape? And it kind of gets over it even a permaculture concept. How do we embrace what we've got versus trying to come in here with heavy equipment and just rip everything apart and try to make it something it's not? So with us, we, we have all this wooded land. So if we're going to cut trees down to make grass, what are we going to do with the trees? Well, we're going to turn that into lumber. We're going to use that uh, for, for products that we – when we build infrastructure. I mean, I still do some woodworking. So sometimes lumber gets turned into woodworking projects that I either have for ourselves or we sell. So it, it has you know, it has value. Use use the raw material that you have. I and mean, we, we've invested in a wood chipper. Uh, so yeah, we, we can make wood chips because we have a lot of brush. We have a lot of uh, extra material there. So I, I try to cut up as much as I can. I try not to – haven't had a brush fire in a long time. I, I don't pile up brush and burn it. I, I try to find a use for it. To me, a pile of brush rotting down in the corner of a pasture is, is has much more benefit than me going over there and lighting it on fire. So um, – we just try to use what we have. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great philosophy. T- tell me, what's the origin of, of your name? It's kind of unique and different. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny when when you start this and, and you really don't know what you're going to do with it. You just say, well, let's let's do a farm and let's give it a name. Quite frankly, it, start, it started as a, I'm, I'm 
self-employed. I have my own business. I've been uh, in, uh, in business for myself for about 13 years. So when I started the farm business, I thought, I need a tax write-off. So we got to give it a name. So uh, we live on Red Tool House Road, and there's an interesting history. Um, the county that we're in in southern West Virginia is is one of the counties that was a huge natural resource county. So a lot of coal came out of out of our county. A lot of oil, believe it or not. There were tons of oil uh, fields in, in southern West Virginia and a lot of natural gas. So uh, we were actually part of a huge farm at one time, Red Tool House. This was you know, several hundred years ago. And when the gas company came in and put all these wells in, the oil companies put their oil wells in, we have, I think I have six abandoned oil wells and gas wells on my property. So what that looks like now, of course, is just a flat piece of ground with a pipe sticking out of the ground. It's full of concrete. There's no derricks or anything crazy like that. But there's tons of this uh, three-inch metal pipe laying on the ground. I mean, I have miles and miles of it. I've I've done multiple videos of how we use that, cut it up, and use it for, for projects on the farm. But... At the very back of the property sat the red tool house, and that red tool house was kind of the the, the place where the guys would store all their tools to, to manage these gas line these gas lines, the gas wells, and the oil wells, and it was a very large red tool house. So that became the name of the county road, and then at some point back in the 30s or 40s, they moved the county road down into the valley and off the ridge, which makes up my property. And uh, so it just kind of stuck. We thought, okay, well, let's let's just embrace it. Your red tool house is kind of unique. It's got a, the place already has a story. We were the red tool house, so you know, red tool house farm makes sense. I even put a red roof on my barn just for the fact that people say, is that the red tool house? Well, no, not specifically, but it is a red, you know, it is a red roof. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, what other animals do you have beyond the pigs at your farm these days? Well, we have uh, we have egg laying chickens. Um, we we do our pigs. We uh, we we are fair to finish on our operation, so we we have our breeders. I do AI, so I, I don't have a boar. And then we also do broiler chickens. So uh, we raise broilers in the, in the years and um, in the summer, of course, and and process those on the farm. Um, we really haven't done anything else. We're really looking heavily into uh, Highland cattle. That's that's what we want to get into next. I need a couple more acres cleared that I would feel would be good grazers. But that's that's why we're leaning towards the Highland is uh, their grazing ability. They can they can forage a little bit better than a, than a typical commercial brand or brand commercial breed. So so we're looking at that. But yeah, right now it's just uh, pigs and and broilers and, and egg laying. Why the Highland cattle? Uh, just, just really like, um, just, just like what we've read about them. Again, probably the the first thing is their forage capabilities. Um, they're they're supposedly more durable, a little bit more disease resistant, um, can handle cold temperatures and and can handle the hot temperatures as well. West Virginia, we don't have super cold winters. Uh, but we do get down in the zeros. I mean, obviously, you know, my winter and your winter, you'd laugh at my winter. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, but they, they are, they seem to be resilient there. Um, and, you know, we, we like, we like things with personality. Um, we, we really embrace our, uh, you know, the McClungs, we really embrace our Scottish heritage. So I just like, you know, to me, when I see that cow, it's like he's talking to me with Scottish brokes. So, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, we just, we just like, we, we, something we're leaning towards right now, but we, we may still be a year out before we even get close to getting one on farm. Definitely. Um, you know, you're one of the people, so, so a lot of times folks I know, Often, people like you even are often trying to say, all right, I'm going to keep working and doing this day job and keep working and keep working until I can, you know, get myself set in a place where I don't have to do that anymore. But, but 
you know, you're somebody who seems to really be balancing both kind of the, the, the homestead and farm life with sort of your, your kind of rigors of your day job. How, how do you do that? How do you approach that? You know, that, and that's interesting. And, and thinking about our, our conversation that we we're going to have and, and listening to your podcast and understanding where you are and, and, and your philosophy as well and, and, and other people. And obviously, it's not just us that are dealing with day jobs and, and having goals to expand our homestead. It, it's really been a um, it's really been a bit of a you know a mind struggle for me because I love my day job. You know, I've, I've, uh, my business partner and I we built this business pretty much from the ground up in 2006. It's a small marketing firm. We we love I love working with clients and helping them overcome you know issues they have. Hey, you've got good products and services. We're going to help you promote those and help you grow your business. Uh, I've been doing that for 13 plus years on my own. Did it before for other company. So I was like, man, I, I really love that. But there's times where I'm like, okay, I sit behind a desk a lot or I sit in meetings or you know, the highlight of my day is sitting across a, a lunch table with somebody talking about their plans. You know, I, I talk a lot. And it's like, okay, if I just sit around and talk a lot, I'm going to be 600 pounds because you know, I, I'm not doing anything else. So I, I love the balance of being able to come home, work the farm. Again, being self-employed, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a nine to five, five days a week. I, I have the luxury of, hey, when it's time to take pigs to the processor, I just make sure that I don't have meetings that day. My business partner holds down the fort for me. And, uh, you know, my clients know we're small enough that I don't have a huge clientele base. So I can say, hey, guys, I'm taking pigs to market. So, you know, I won't be available today. But, uh, you know, that that beauty of, of doing that. Now, there's times it still, it still rubs against it where I'll have a meeting and uh, like uh, y'all, uh, I'll never forget the times where I get a text from my wife to say, uh, "Pig ferret early, sparrowing right now," and I'm sitting in a you know boardroom with a bunch of guys in suits, and I'm like, "Oh crap, I got to leave my pigs farrowing. It's like, well, no, I, I really can't do that. That that's not going to work for me to get up and go running out of there with my tail on fire. So, so it's like, okay, Kelly, you you know you're in charge now. You're going to have to see this through. And fortunately, most of the farrowings go pretty smoothly. But uh, but yeah, it's one of those things. I aspire to do more on the farm on, and on the homestead. I, I want to do that more, but I don't want to you know, completely walk away from my business. Now, if somebody came in and said, "Hey, Troy, I want to uh, I want to you know, buy into your partnership," and and obviously I'd have to get my business partner involved in that. But if somebody came in you know, five ten years down the road and said, "Hey, we'd like to buy into your company and and you work less," then okay, yeah, I can do that. If you know if if, if if somebody sees value in what we've built and they want to share in that value and then that allows me to be on the farm more, then great. Like I said, I'm 46. So I, I pretty much figure in my mind, I, I want to work. I want to work. To, I always say I want to work till I'm 65. And if I'm still employed and I can do that till I'm 65, man, I'd love it. Yeah, that'd be a blessing to me. I, I praise God every day for the ability that I have to do what I do. So if I can do that, I'm 65 and, and still help clients and you know, still be relevant. I don't know how much a 65 year old will be relevant in marketing. And, you know, it's such a, a moving target anymore. Uh, I had to have a kid show me how to use Snapchat the other day so I could help a client. So it's crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if I could do that and, and, and just have a nice balance of farm on farm off, um, you know, I, I sometimes uh, uh, romanticize, maybe you know, take two days uh, out of the week and, and just spend on the farm every week. Just go ahead and define that. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. There, there's times that it's nice when it's frustrating. It's a frustrating day on the farm. It's like I'm going to the office today because you know I'm tired. I just 
I just got kicked in the gut too many times with failures on the farm. And then I you know, come to the office and say, if I have one more board meeting, I'm going to kill somebody. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to take an extra day off and I'm going to spend time on the farm because the pigs pigs don't yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, they, do, they, they can get ornery, especially the, oh, yeah. the, the sows there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, they do have their own temperament. So for somebody who's listening to this and, and hearing you talk about kind of that work, homestead, life balance that you, you seem to struck and said, gosh, I'd, I really would like to try to go about creating that for myself. W- what advice would you have for them? Well, the first thing is, if you're doing this alone, homesteading is almost impossible to do alone. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer we were created as human beings. We were created for community. So you know, even my original attitude when we bought the land to go live and be a hermit and get away from everybody, that was wrong. And I realized that, that, you know, once, once I got into it, it's like, you know, I still crave community. I still crave interaction with people. And, you know, we created to have uh, community with one another. So the first thing you got to do is, you know, if you're going this alone, it's going to make it tough. So if you, if you don't have family, you know, find some friends, find somebody in the community that, that has a similar desire, somebody that you can uh, you fellowship and share with to say, hey, here's some of the struggles we're dealing with. And that's what I like about social media. You know, it has a lot of bad parts, but the good parts is uh, it brings people together. Obviously, you know, we're taking advantage of it right now, what we're doing with, with your podcast. You and I are sharing uh, experiences. Technology is allowing you and I to talk to one another, even though you're you know, 12 hours away from me. Um, but have somebody, you know, in our situation, you know, have my wife and my boys, and, and I make sure that my wife is on board with, with what my plans are, and she's on board, or I'm on board with her plans. So we have we have a farm meeting every Tuesday. In fact, I'm missing the farm meeting tonight, So, but it's okay. I got a, I got a green light to miss the farm meeting tonight to do this interview. But uh, we have a farm meeting every Tuesday, and it's it's funny if you sit if you sat down at our kitchen table. Usually, we do it around dinner. If you sat at our kitchen table, we kind of laugh. But my wife, uh, she breaks out the little notebook. I do a treasures report, so we talk about okay, you know, here's what we have in the farm funds, and I make sure my boys understand. Being, of course, being self-employed too, they have to understand that you know I don't have a boss per se. So, the responsibility of of income, hey. You know, son, the reason why you have those pair of tennis shoes is because you know, I, I do my job, and, and obviously I, I try to do my job well. So we have we talk to him about finances, we talk to him about income, we talk to him about expenses, we talk to him about all these things, but we also talk about farm plans. You know, I've got a 17 year old and I've got a 13 year old. So, you know, son, what what do you want to do? Well, I'd like to. You know, my 13 year old, he he wants to do his uh, chicken business. He he's done that in the past, and. Uh, he wants more eggs or, uh, to sell and all those type of things. So we're going to ramp that up this year again. Uh, this fall we'll, we'll get a new breed of our new rotation of chickens in. The 17-year-old he's really into you know uh, uh, wildlife and management and uh, ecology type stuff. So he, oh dad, I want to do this over here. I want to try this. I want to try you know this this type of thing to make a bird habitat. So we just embrace everybody's plans and we try to make sure that we're all on the same page. Now, it doesn't mean everybody gets to do everything they want. It all has to fall within budget, has to fall within reason. And of course, you know, somebody has to be the main water carrier and that's usually me. I, you know, I'm, I'm the guy out there you know, working uh, as far as you know, running the tractor, running the sawmill, building this type of thing, uh, breeding the pigs, feeding the pigs, that type of stuff. But they, they come along and help. And, and that's been probably the biggest thing. Uh, I, unfortunately, you talk to people where they'll say, I want a homestead, I want to do this, but my spouse doesn't want any part of it. He wants to sit on the couch and drink a beer or vice versa. She wants to just go to the mall, whatever. 
And how do I do that? I, I just need to, I need to convince them to do that. Well, that's, that's where you need to pump the brakes and say, you know, we need to get on the same ground. If, if, if you know, marriage is all about compromise, so if, you know, if it's a spouse you're dealing with, is you, you, you find that compromise and say, well, you know, maybe that spouse isn't ready to sell out of everything and, and move to 40 acres in the middle of nowhere and live off grid, but maybe they'll allow you to tear up the backyard and put a garden in. Or maybe we, you know, if your municipality allows you to have some chickens, maybe you start with some chickens in the backyard. So just have a compromise there. And if, um, if you can just have those discussions, the, to me, the farm meeting is invaluable. That's an hour, hour and a half we spend talking. And sometimes we'll get off on a tangent. We won't even be talking about farm stuff, but it's just, it's, it's dedicated time to get the family together to talk about it. They know what my frustrations are. They know what I'm excited about. And there really aren't any surprises. So, you know, if I would roll up one day with a Highland cow in the back of the truck, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to them. They, they would know it because we've talked about it in our farm meetings. That's awesome. That's great advice. You know, it's actually got me thinking, I'm like, gosh, you know, my wife and I, we should do that too. <laughs> I'm like, we, we don't do a farm meeting. And that, you know, some of the like disagreements we have and that sort of thing, like, you know, we could, we could stem off a lot by, by just, yeah, once a week setting down some time to sit and talk purely farm business. Yeah, you know, and, I, and again, I'm no marriage sage. I've been married 24 years, and we've had you know, our ups and downs. And it really comes down to communication. Is is if 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 Kelly is upset with me, if I've done something to upset her, it's usually because I haven't communicated my intentions. I've either miscommunicated. There's there's a misconception, you know, something perceived incorrectly because I haven't communicated well. And same with her. You know, she hasn't communicated well with me. So if you force yourself to sit down and communicate, then you're pretty much going to air out those those issues and you, you, you eliminate these bear traps that you can accidentally walk into because you haven't communicated. Mm. So, so what's next for you guys? Like, what are you what are you planning as you look two or three years out? Well, that's interesting. So um, beyond the know, beyond have, the cattle, I guess. Yeah, we, we well, we have. Um, we have our YouTube channel, which uh, uh, when I first started that, I really thought, okay, this is fun. Uh, you know, my, my day job has me having video equipment already. So you know, we do video uh, production for, for our clients for marketing. So I was like, okay, I, I'm not the guy that's usually behind the camera at work, but I'm usually the guy that's directing it. You know, we, have, we have contractors that, that do that type of stuff. So I, I kind of learned vicariously through these guys. But, uh, but my business partner and I, we handle the creative direction. We know where we want to go. So we slowly got into, um, got into this YouTube stuff for the farm. And I thought, oh, let's just do it. You know, it. It helps me understand better what I'm overseeing at work. So you know, I have enough equipment to be dangerous is what I say. Uh, so I have you know, some of these uh, DSLRs and some of these other rigs and some wireless mics and stuff. So we started playing around with it. Well, it took off, and it's it's one of those things now that it's grown to. Okay, I can't just I can't just look at it on the side and say, okay, this is just something for fun on the side because, um, you know, I've, I've put two and a half years into it. It's grown to the point that it it produces enough traffic, produces enough revenue to to get my attention. So uh, we want to obviously continue to see that grow, but we want to balance that with um, with what we do. I, I can discover at times that. When you know, weekends, of course, are precious, as you know. When you're if you're if you're at work all week, then you got your weekends. Okay, what am I going to do? And I know with you, with the podcast and the YouTube channel, you you you, you probably know what I'm talking about here. It's like, okay, I want to get this, this, and this done, but I, if I'm going to have a video to do, I need to video that. So that automatically slows down what I'm going to do because I have to document it, 
or I set the camera aside and go ahead and get it done and then you know, kick myself later. Like, oh, I wish I would have documented that actually worked. That was one thing that didn't fail. And, and I'd love to have that on camera. Um, or you discover, wow, I, I got to do a video. I can't even work on this project yet because I promised my quote unquote audience that I would, this was going to be the next step I was going to do. So, so we want to balance that. We want to have that uh, in place more. Um, we want to do more, um, more involvement with the boys. And again, I've got a 17 year old. He's probably going to um, go to college locally. Uh, we think we don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, he's he's kind of implied that he wants to go to college locally, so he may still be on. So I may have him for another uh, you know, another five years, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but we want to involve the boys more in that. They're uh, they're seeing the my oldest kind of likes the technical side of the farming, the websites. Uh, we do a podcast all about pastured pigs, so he's he's seen an interest in that. Um, so we want to get them more involved. So we just want to kind of keep moving these things along. Uh, we also have a um, small camp, off-grid camp, uh, about three hours away that we've been we started building last year. We've been documenting some of that. Um, just kind of want to play with that. It's in an area, recreational area of our state that we really enjoy. I've been going to since I was a kid, so we want to continue that. But probably the thing that I'm I'm the most excited and motivated about. So you know, all the homesteading, all the farming stuff. We just want to kind of do that better. But um, the land that we're given, we have. Uh, in this hundred acres, we have an area in the back that is just an ideal situation that I think that would um, be a getaway for people. So we have um, we're about twenty thirty minutes from our capital city. So the, the largest chunk of population of our state. We're only one point eight million in the state of West Virginia, but there's uh, about a hundred and forty thousand people within a you know twenty mile drive of us, twenty minute drive of us. You know they they all live in this this area. So a good chunk of our population is there. And and we see constantly we're super active in our church and we see constantly that yeah there's marriages under attack relationships are under attack people just people just don't know how to do relationships anymore so we want to take this portion of land we want to build a retreat and whatever that looks like whether it's cabins whether it's tents whether it's just a flat spot on the ground because you know, we don't have a lot of flat spots but we want to have an opportunity for people to come out um, if these uh, married couples want to come out we don't have to interact with them they can just come out there's no internet service. Out where we are, there's no cell service. There's nothing. Uh, we won't even have electricity back there. We will have a flushing toilet there. Uh, but they can come out. If they want to stay a weekend and just relax, chill out, um, spend some quality time together. Maybe they can have a couple farm meetings while they're out there, <laughs> whatever they need to, to uh, reconnect. Yeah, we, we want to do that. So we, in our minds, Kelly and I see uh, you know, kind of a legacy piece of we want to build a marriage retreat. If people come and they want to see you know pigs and, and cows at some point and chickens, great. But, man, we, we want you to just come out here, uh, unplug, even if it's just a short weekend or an overnight. Come out, stay, enjoy it, take a hike. You know, we've got beautiful woods. They can take a hike, just enjoy the time. And, and that's what we really see. I'd love to see that up and running in three years. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm disappointed with myself because I'm not as far along as I want to be on it. Um, but, uh, but that's what we'd like to see. We want to see something where it, it can have some value just outside of us. That's, that maybe somebody, if, if, if one relationship stays together simply because they came out and enjoyed a weekend at Red Tool House, man, that, that'd make my day. That'd be a slam dunk for me. I enjoyed that conversation with Troy. 
I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. You know, it, it was it was great talking to somebody who, who has all that balance in their lives. And, and I thought it was, it was just, it's something cool to see. I feel like, you know, so often it's, it's stories of, of people trying to, you know, kind of quote unquote escape the rat race. But when I look at what Troy and his family have built, it's, it's really something that's, you know, got a lot of beautiful balance to it. I, I, I really hope I get the opportunity to sit down and talk to, to Troy Moore someday and meet him face to face. It's one of those funny things. I feel like I'm making so many new friends and meeting so many people through this podcast, but at the same time, it's all these virtual relationships and, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping for some opportunities soon to meet folks face to face. So that's pretty much all I got for today's episode. I hope you guys have enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I also want to say thank you guys for all the feedback on last week's episode where I was telling the story of how we landed up here. Um, I will continue to start doing some more of those storytelling episodes. I'm not sure exactly what the ratio is going to be. I've got a lot of good booked up guests over the next couple of weeks. But there will come a time when I tell you a whole bunch of more stories, including you know, how we actually started our farm and what we've been doing to build it out and what our plans are longer term and, and kind of a whole host of stories that I've got. If you guys have anything specific that you'd want to hear about too, uh, be sure to just drop me a note. You can email me at goldshawfarm at gmail.com or you can uh, throw it out there in the uh, Goldshaw Farm Facebook group, which is a, just look for the Goldshaw Farm podcast on Facebook and you can find it. Um, and yeah, uh, if you want to learn more about Troy, uh, be sure to check out his uh, YouTube channel, The Red Tool House Farm. Uh, I'll leave a link down below in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm, you can check us out, Goldshaw Farm, whether it be on Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, I don't know. We have our own website, goldshawfarm.com, that I'm always really negligent in updating. And uh, look forward to hearing from you guys. And with that, I will be back soon with another episode. And until then, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life, yeah. I fall asleep inside its arms The love is here at Goldshaw Farms The love is here at Goldshaw Farms